0: 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 25. We'll be reading from the CSB. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening encouragement and consolation the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up but the one who prophesies builds up the church i wish all of you spoke in tongues but even more that you prophesied the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up But now, so now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? Verse 9, in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if he prays with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks? since he does not know what you are saying. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Amen. And the title of today's sermon is, We're We're Building Something Here. And that truly is the case. Uh, we are getting to that place where uh, new Life is growing, where New Life is building something uh, along with the whole church of Sezun. Um, so, you may not be aware of this, but we've had uh, 20 people elected as, uh, uh, into positions within Sezun as deputy deacons. And so, you may hear about that in the near future. Um, before we talk about anything else, though, let's pray and we'll get into the sermon. Uh, Father, we gather together this morning wanting to hear from you in a clear way. We want to know you. As we hear the words from Scripture read today, as we hear it being expounded upon, we want to know you. We want to know your grace, and we want to know it well enough to understand it and to have it change our lives. Even in our lack of understanding, and we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to come and do His work here, We ask, Lord, that you would change our heart's disposition, that you would help us, Lord, to turn to face you, to ask in love to help us to love you more. We wanna know what it means, Lord, to receive your grace. We wanna know what it means, Lord, to have this grace change us and not to seek to do everything by our own works, which are fruitless. We wanna turn to you and find that the bridge is already there, and the bridge is Jesus Christ. The work that he's done upon the cross, he bridges that gap between us, and he invites us into your family. We want to know what it means that we're your son, we're your daughter, that we are family members of the living God. We want this knowledge to change us, and we want us to be able to speak about this change to all those that are around us. Would you help for this service to be understandable to everyone that's gathered here, whether believers or non-believers, whether old or new, whoever comes together here, Lord, would you speak your message in a clear way, and would you help us, Lord, to grasp what this grace means and the depths of your love for us? Because we want that knowledge to change us, and we want that knowledge to create in us a love for you. So be with us, Help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I have a very early memory of attending church. Uh, it was a small Korean church long before I came to Sezun, long before I came to New Life. I remember very clearly that I had absolutely no idea what on earth was going on. Um, people would gather together. It was maybe about 20 people all together. And if you've ever heard me speaking Korean, uh, perhaps you've had that uh, privilege or maybe lack of privilege to hear me speaking in Korean. You might know that my Korean is not that great now Uh, when I speak to, you know, people from the Korean congregation or when I speak to the other pastors. Quite often, I I find that they look at me as though they're speaking to a child uh, the way that I speak to my child. Um, It was even worse then, though. So my Korean has greatly improved. It's gone up infinity percent, but it was much worse back then. And you might know, if you do speak Korean, that conversational Korean is very different from church Korean. You know, for some reason, they use, like, you need a dictionary to know what people are talking about. It's full of all sorts of words that i would never encountered before. And so maybe some of you can relate to this, if you've ever been to a a Korean-speaking or a, a, a different language church. The singing was the closest that I got to understanding anything that was going on. Because at least I could try to follow along with the melody. I'm a little tone deaf, so it was still a little bit hard. But I I still couldn't really figure out the lyrics either. I understood what Jesus was, okay? But the rest of it, I was like, oh, that could mean anything, okay? And when the sermon started, I was hopelessly lost. I had no idea what he was talking about. I just followed along with the amens. And I was like, oh, okay, seems okay. And I was feeling very alienated. I felt like an outsider in that church. Now, it gave me the same feelings that I felt a long, long time ago, even longer before then, when my family had just moved to the United States. I was five years old. I was uh, speaking in Korean. Uh, surprise, surprise. So uh, be- moving from Korea, Korean was my main language. No longer is. And I was one of the few Asian kids in the school. Perhaps you've had this experience. I was trying to learn English from scratch in the ESL program. Okay? Feeling more and more like I was other to those on the inside. And so the teacher would point to a picture of a tiger, and I would respond in Korean and tell her what that tiger was. And she would just nod and say, yes, that is what it is. Although I don't think she spoke Korean at all. Now, for those of you who have ever felt like you were on the outside, you know whether it was due to language or cultural barriers, You know, maybe you've been to another country. Maybe you just walked into the wrong class one day, if you're studying, and you just didn't realize until you were halfway through, and then you're like, That's why I don't know what they're talking about. With something like the gospel of grace, this is something that we never want people to feel here at New Life. We never want people to feel as though they're on the outside when they're hearing the gospel. So our worship should be understandable. It should be something that is approachable. There are things that will be challenging to anyone who comes along, to those of us who aren't Christians, maybe even to those of us who are Christians, it'll still be challenging to us. Like when we talk about Jesus' identity as a son of God, or the very notion of the resurrection of the dead, like when we approach this in the text, do we sometimes think, this is going to be hard for people to believe that this man raised from the dead. This is what our faith is based around, though. All that aside, though, our worship itself should be something that is able to be understood. In the Corinthian church that we've been hearing about in our Bibles, there's a lot of people speaking in tongues when people gather together for worship. And this specific issue might not happen here at New Life. I don't think this is an issue where, you know, people don't just jump up here and start speaking in tongues, but you might encounter it in different churches, even today. For the most part, in the Corinthian church, these tongues are not being interpreted. No one's coming up and saying, By the way, that thing that that guy just said, this is what this means. And this is an issue because it's a divisive thing for the Corinthians. Because those that are actually taking part in it, those that are speaking in tongues, say, it's an amazing thing. It's strengthening my faith. I get closer to God by doing this. Why are you trying to stop me? And those that are not understanding what these tongues are all about, they're made to feel like they're on the outside. They're made to feel alienated in the church. So the whole church is not benefiting from a few people speaking in tongues. Now imagine that you're the head of this church. What would you do in this situation? The whole church is not benefiting from a few people speaking in tongues. What would you do? Verse 1 reads Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. So love has to be the priority. And only then should we pursue gifts. And we've seen this throughout the weeks, especially last week with the big focus on love, 1 Corinthians 13. So for the question of what we should do in this kind of situation, the answer is that we should prioritize the building up of the whole church in love. That should always be our first priority. And this explains that first verse here, Then the order of priorities and the special emphasis on prophecy as well. Here's how. So love first. This is what comes first when we read this. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy because this is a gift that actually provides what the church needs, what the church in Corinth needed, what the church today needs, building up of faith. And therefore, it's a gift that's more in line with love than the other spiritual gifts. So how does it build up? Read with me verses 3 to 4. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Prophecy, we read, strengthens or builds up faith. This is the role of prophecy. It encourages or makes people bold in their faith. It makes people bold in what they believe in. It consoles or it comforts those who are depressed or grieving. This is the role of the prophetic. Strengthening, encouraging, and consolation. This is what the prophetic gift should always do. So true prophecy is always outward-focused, coming from love, concerned about the well-being of others. It's very pastoral in what you do. Unfortunately, quite often, we've seen the opposite of this. We've seen this abuse where instead of truly caring, instead of a truly caring prophetic gift being utilized, it's instead used to gleefully rebuke others opts not for warmth and love, but for cold, uncaring communication of theological truths. Like we might come to a place where we understand theology, and so we beat people down with it. And this sounds more like Jonah's message to Nineveh than Jesus' gospel of grace. So what about in places where we don't see such gifts of speaking at work? Maybe we see a waste of words instead then. Early on in our relationship, my wife, Bora, uh, she said these three words constantly in our dating relationship. These three words, and they've always stuck in my head. Words have power. They were not the three words that I was looking for in our dating relationship, but words have power. She kept repeating to me. She kept saying this, words have power. I said, yes, they do. Say, Say the other ones. But anyway, she said this because I was constantly just having a laugh have I lost? Okay. She said this because I was constantly just having a laugh, joking around, making fun of friends. And when she would ask why, I would tell her, that's just how Aussies talk with their friends. You guys who grew up in Australia, you know this, right? Australians we bag each other out. The more that we do it, apparently the friendlier we are. The more that we hurt each other, the friendlier we are. As I was saying this, I wasn't convincing myself either. I was saying this, and I was like, this doesn't sound good, but you've got to trust me. But is that a good use of the power of words? Because words certainly do have power. Christian love requires of us an in- intentionality when we speak. We need to be intentional when we speak to each other. We don't just take every opportunity to try and be funny. We don't just try to one-up each other by putting each other down. We set ourselves apart from the rest of this world. What Paul talks about here with prophecy or with any speech gift that can edify the church is that we should take every opportunity to strengthen, every opportunity to encourage, to console with our speech, every single one. This is a highly valuable spiritual gift and one that should be used generously. There are some in New Life that do this already, that practice this gift of the prophetic in encouraging others. I know that my friends, when they've come up from Melbourne to visit, they've experienced this and they still talk about this to this very day. They speak with such high regard for these people because they were strengthened by such speech. Maybe you've experienced it with talking to some of our people. This is along the lines of the thing that Paul is saying is of greater importance than speaking in tongues, which is a very visible gift, if you think about it. If someone's jumping up and speaking in another language, it's very visible. But our gathering for the glory of God is at the core of it, a public and communal experience. We gather together. It's not for individual consumption. Over the last two years of the pandemic, after we started the live stream, which is still going on today, there was a bit of a debate that came up after the lockdowns finished among our ministry directors. We meet each month and we talk about the things of the church. And some were wondering, should we wrap up the live stream at this point? Should we switch it off? Because they knew of some people that were just sticking around at home. They weren't sick. They weren't worried about getting sick. They just wanted to sleep in. They just wanted to just kind of hang out at home. I understand that feeling, okay, more than you think. Some were wondering if this would actually encourage people to physically gather together at church if we turned off the live stream rather than just taking the easy option of staying home and worshiping by themselves. You might wonder, why was this such a big talking point in our leadership? Why was this so important? Because it feeds into our sinful self-centeredness, when we focus solely on ourselves, when we choose the easy option of just staying home and not gathering together. Because when you come together, you meet with people that you not only love, but you also meet with people that you might not really enjoy being around. So what's the difference? Aren't we worshiping anyway? Is your individual edification all that matters? Is that all that matters in Christianity? Is it just a sermon that you show up for? Is it not the singing together? The announcements about things taking place in the community? The collective prayers and the fellowship of believers, not always necessarily with the people that you're just comfortable with. Because as you meet them, you will be shaped in your character. You'll be forced into a situation where you can choose to love or not love, and your love for them will shape them as well. When we gather together as a body, the edification of this said body is our priority. We build up the church together. Love demands that we use our gifts solely to glorify God by building up the community. And so this also means that we only use the gifts that are useful for building up this body. Regardless of how showy, how amazing this gift might be, we only use the gifts that are useful for building up the body of Christ. And this is hard. This was hard back in the time that this letter was written to the Corinthians, and it's hard today. Why do you think church hopping even exists? Because we long for something to be solely based around us. We're often more interested in ourselves and and not in how to benefit other people, not necessarily a community, but how to benefit ourselves. We need things to fit us and not for God to use our gifts in the context that we're in. How many of us understand that when we gather together for worship, the point isn't what we gain from this worship. The point is that we desire the building up of those around us that gather together with us for worship theologian gordon fee he says it like this the point of everything in corporate worship is not personal experience in the spirit but building up the church itself the building up of the community is a basic reason for corporate settings of worship they should probably not be turned into a corporate gathering for a thousand individual experiences of worship Do we have this issue too? Do you just sit alone? Do you talk to no one? Do you leave early? Because Christianity is all about you. Is your desire to find a church that just forms around you organically, that benefits you, that you don't have to lift a finger to do anything because everything is for your benefit? Because I suggest that's not Christianity. Paul goes on to talk about the gift of speaking in tongues, verses six onwards. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, If the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Seek to excel in building up the church. His point here is that any gift left uninterpreted, it's like instruments just making random noises with no distinction or clarity. It's not following any notes. It'd be be like our praise team coming up here and just playing whatever notes were on their hearts. They all just decided, oh, I'm going to play this one now, and the other person decided something else. You're not actually following after anything. It would be like a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong or Nord or whatever. There's no purpose to what we do here if it can't be understood. A long time ago at a church that I was at, a friend of mine invited along his non-Christian friend. He'd been praying for this guy for quite a while. And it was unfortunately just at the wrong time. Because at this church we started getting into all sorts of spiritual gifts and also spiritual weirdness, like just weird things, practices, questionable practices, and it was really out of control. Some people were openly speaking in tongues. They just decided, I'm going to speak in tongues. doesn't matter if no one understands. Some people were moving around erratically, laughing, just doing all sorts of things, and all told at the end of it, this friend told us he never wanted to come back because it was a little bit too weird for him. He said, I thought you guys were Christians. And he left, and he said that he was scarred from his experience of our church. The church that I was at back then, and this Corinthian church as well, may be a little bit too eager for the things of the Spirit to get involved in spiritual things. But what about us? What about us here at New Life? Maybe we have the opposite issue. Maybe we're not eager enough for the spirit. Because we might not get to the spiritual side sometimes. It feels like sometimes we care a lot about the social benefits of the church. We get to meet with people. We get to make friends. We understand the communal effect of having somewhere to belong. Some of us enjoy the thinking and the learning and being challenged intellectually. I know there's at least a few of you out there. But do we get spiritual renewal of our entire selves? Do we get it? Is this what we gather together for? Do we understand how big prayer is? That we actually have the ear of the living God and he loves to actually listen to us. Do we know how important our words are for each other? Because with our tongues, we build up We give life. Verses 13 to 15 read this. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Our worship should engage both the spirit and the mind but quite often I feel like it only does one or the other. We ought to pray with the Spirit and understanding. We ought to sing praise with the Spirit and understanding. But maybe this is the part that's not understandable to our newcomers, to those that come along to church for the first time, to those that are experiencing Christianity for the first time. Because it seems like sometimes, we ourselves who have been in the church a long time don't really seem to understand the gospel of grace. Sometimes we talk about the basic tenets of Christianity like they're completely foreign to us, as though they're things that we don't quite know how to articulate. We say, hey, you should talk to someone else about this. We're happy to bring along our friends to church, but we're even happier to refer them on to life group leaders, to me, whoever. For some of us, our need for a Savior, Jesus being that Savior, who lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserved, resurrected to give us the life that we now don't deserve, a lot of this still rests in the realm of uncertainty for some of us. And we don't get it. That's okay if that's where we're starting. It's It's even okay if that's where we're at right now, but it's not okay for us to be comfortable there, for us to just live there for the rest of our lives. I would hate it if 20 years from now we're still in the same place, same boat, same uncertainty about Christianity. If you were here last week, you know that Lent started on Wednesday. If you don't know, uh, Lent commemorates the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Many in the church, they observe this time by sacrificing something during this time to show that their dependence is entirely on God, that they don't depend on whatever it is that they're sacrificing. It might be something like fasting from certain foods or things like entertainment, phone use, whatever it might be. And the other side of it is taking up of spiritual disciplines like doing daily devotionals, like reading through the Bible, like deeper or more frequent times of prayer. These are spiritual disciplines. This is the perfect time for us to grow in our understanding of the gospel of grace. There's never been a more perfect time. We don't have to just sit idly anymore and let another day pass where we don't seek to receive from God. We can grow. We can know him. We can know him in his grace to the point where we're actually able to live it out. You can do this. We're going to be able to communicate in a way that our friends, our families, those around us can understand. So let's get to that place. In order to get there, we need to pray for understanding, to talk with others around us and reflect together so we can gain an understanding of what it is that we actually believe in. We can build each other up in this faith, and so we can utilize our gifts to together build this body. If we get to that place, maybe we'll see what Paul's talking about more often. We'll read verses 23 to 25, and then we'll pray. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming. God is really among you. Let's pray. Father, we long for that to be our church. We long for it to be a place where each and every single member of the body seeks love first. We want to grow in love and then to desire spiritual gifts, and especially that we might prophesy. We want to build each other up and strengthen each other's faith. We want to encourage each other to greater acts of faith, and we want to console those who are hurting. Would you help us We long for new life to be a place where our unbelieving friends, family members, those that live around us might come, might hear the word of God, and they might fall to their knees and worship you. And they might say, God truly is among you. We wanna believe this. We wanna believe That new life is that place. And so we ask, Lord, that you would move in us. Don't let us become lazy or complacent. Don't let us become enamored with the things of this world. Replace in our hearts the love that we have for other things before you. Change them. Change our hearts. Make them face you. Because when we look to you, we know that we'll be moved by love because that is who you are. Our very small definitions of love look a lot more like lust. And we don't wanna lust after these other things anymore. But we wanna love you the way that you love us. So move our hearts and help us to do this. As we go from here, as we go into the songs of praise, my prayer for us here at New Life is that, Father, you would move our hearts to really consider these words that we're singing, to really mean these words as words of prayer, as words that will truly change us, to believe, Lord, That as we sing these words, that you're listening, that you love to hear them, and that you will act upon these words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.